If I've not had the privilege of meeting you, I'm Don Breland, and my wife and uh, my wife Jerry and I have been active members of Grace Bible for about 18 years now. So we've enjoyed getting to know uh, and working alongside many of you, and I rejoice in the privilege of being able to bring this morning's message. Several months ago, uh, when Brian, the pastoral staff, were putting together the preaching calendar for this year, uh, Brian wrote uh, by email and asked if I would consider uh, doing the sermon today, July 21st. And after prayerfully considering that, I wrote back and said, yes, um, will you be running a theme at that point? And is there something that you would like for me to speak specifically about? He wrote back and said, no, um, the choice is yours, but something from the Bible would be nice. (laughs) Well, not to be outdone, I wrote back and I said, well, if you want to limit me that way, I was really thinking about doing something from Dr. Seuss. Well, of course, Brian then wrote back and said, hum, the theology of green eggs and ham. I think I'd like to hear a message on that. Well, we didn't cover that in seminary, so I didn't figure I could, I was qualified to speak on the theology of green eggs and ham. But since Brian suggested that, I suggest that you all hold him to that and make him preach a sermon on green eggs and ham at some point. But anyway, it is my privilege uh, to be with you this morning, and I'm I'm thankful uh, for the opportunity. I'm not sure if it's okay for me to put my stuff on the Brian Fisher dedicated, holy, sanctified preaching table, but I'm going to do it anyway, so don't tell Brian, will you please not? Uh, The message this morning, I want to say to you at the outset, if it sounds familiar to you in some degree, that's because several years ago, um, I spoke on this same passage, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 3. Isn't it true in your own life, it certainly is in mine, that when you read a passage of Scripture, say you read it today, the Lord just unfolds and opens up certain things about that passage that speak to your life where you are in this moment. But if you were to come back to that passage a couple of years later down the road and open that up, the Lord would just kind of use that passage to speak to you where you are at that moment and perhaps open up other ideas and thoughts that you didn't see uh, when you went through it previously. Well, that's been my experience with this passage and why I selected it for the sermon topic this morning. Because this passage just keeps calling me back uh, to consider what it means to be a letter from Jesus Christ to the world around us. And it's a constant challenge to me. It's a constant reminder. It's a constant sense of source of what God wants to provide uh, in my life in order for me to honor him and serve him. And I pray that uh, by going over this this morning, it, it will be that for you as well. Well, first, before we get into the passage, I'd like to give you a little background about this passage in Second Corinthians. First of all, 
Paul actually was involved in the establishing of the Corinthian church in about 52 AD. And he spent about a year, year and a half with them, helping them to get built on a good foundation and um, began to move in uh, accomplishing God's will and purpose for them. And then he left for a while. And while he was gone, false teachers Uh, people whom he calls in chapter two, peddlers of the word of God, came into the church and began uh, both to lead them astray, but also to try to discredit Paul so that by discrediting Paul, they could build themselves up and make themselves more successfully. Paul uh, wrote several corrective letters Uh, to them because they began to uh, go astray. And then uh, part of that was the letter that we now call 1 Corinthians. And if you read 1 Corinthians, you see that the church had gotten into a pretty bad state. And so Paul visited them again briefly and, and spent time with them, pulling them back into the truth of the doctrine um, of the resurrected Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. Well, then later after this, uh, sometime later, Titus brought a good report to Paul saying they have responded to your teaching and they have begun uh, to follow after what you had admonished them toward. Paul rejoiced at this news, thanked God for it, and wrote to them the letter that we have that we're going to look at part of this morning, 2 Corinthians. And he wrote this book to affirm their faith, their growth, their adherence to the truth, uh, and to lead them even deeper into their relationship uh, with the Lord. And so let's read this passage This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Would you bow with me in prayer? And now our heavenly father, as we stand before your open word, would you reveal through those words to us your desire, your purpose, your direction, your intention, your challenge to us to indeed be letters of Jesus Christ from Christ to the world around us and through our lives as letters from Christ to reveal your love and your call to salvation for all of mankind. And to that end, we commit this service But beyond that, we commit ourselves, Lord, to be open and responsive to what you tell us through your word today. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Paul says in verse 1, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you 
are from you? Paul is saying here that, first of all, these peddlers of the word of God, people who were making a living by putting together some kind of teaching about the word of God, whether it was grounded in truth or not, and going around to the churches and teaching these things for which they would be paid. And Paul is calling them peddlers of the word of God. I hope that's not true of our church in any sense or any of the ministries that we perform. I do not believe that is the case. And, but it was certainly the case in the Corinthian church. And they, by that, tended to discredit Paul in the eyes of the Corinthian church so that they could push Paul down, so to speak, and build themselves up and secure their place as a peddler of the word of God. And so they said, what do you really know about Paul? I mean, he showed up here, he helped you get the church going, but you really don't know who he is. He claims to be an apostle. Does he have any credentials? He claims to have founded some other churches. Did you see any letters of recommendation from those churches? And so Paul is responding and saying, do I really need a letter of recommendation from you or to you? We've spent time together. You know my heart. And you've responded to the truth of the gospel and you've seen God at work in your own lives in a powerful way. Do I need a letter of recommendation to you from some other church? And Paul is saying, no, not in any sense. But although letters of commendation were widely used in that culture, that's how people could somehow know that somebody who showed up on their church doorstep had some credibility But Paul is, in saying this, is in an implicit way kind of affirming the Corinthian church by saying, if I needed a letter of recommendation from you, you certainly would be a church that I'd want a letter of recommendation from because you began well, you strayed, but you have returned to the path in power. And I'm affirming the direction that you're going. A letter of recommendation from you would be a prized thing to have. But I don't need that because of our relationship, because of what we have been through together. Now, who are then these letters of Christ? He's saying, you are a letter of Christ. Who's he talking about? Well, let me lay out the foundation for a person being a letter of Jesus Christ to the world. First of all, we do ask that question. And I would say to you, I would like to begin it this way. Who are these people who are qualified to be letters from Jesus Christ to the world, both then and now? Well, they are people who have recognized their need as sinners, as people lost and apart from God, that their lives are undone. That is, that they have sin in their lives for which they carry the penalty and the weight and the burden. They have no hope for their lives aside from the eternity of death. They recognize that their life is not complete in the way that God created them to be complete. And the sad face represents all of that. Recognizing that, 
they hear the wonderful news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of his sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary, and of his wondrous resurrection from the grave, being successful um, and accomplishing and overpowering death and the penalty of sin. Having received that then, they experience these things. Salvation. You know, the person who is outside Jesus Christ, the sad face is not to imply that they are bad people, but what it is to imply is that they are as bad off as they can possibly be. And why is that? It is because the sin in their lives carries a penalty with it, and that penalty must be paid. If they do not respond to God's offer of salvation, then they themselves have to pay the penalty for their sin. God, who is righteous, cannot have sin stand in his presence. And so a person who goes through life, who never receives Jesus Christ and has his or her sins forgiven, then pays the penalty for those sins by eternal, going into eternal death. And it's only as we transfer out of the realm of Satan into the realm of Jesus Christ do we receive the salvation that God alone offers. We're going to look at that in a little more detail. But not only salvation, we receive sanctification. We are standing in Christ. And sanctification means our position in Christ. What is your position in Christ once you become a child of God? We're going to look at that. And then finally, there's glorification when God finally takes us home to be with him in all eternity in the glories of his presence and the wonders of heaven itself for eternal life. Let's look first at salvation. What is involved in that? Well, a central verse that we are all familiar with lays out the foundation. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Notice, first of all, what's involved and what happens when we come to Jesus Christ and receive the free gift of God that is paid for by the finished work of Christ on the cross and his powerful and wonderful resurrection. What is it that we receive? Among many things, here are four. We receive justification, which is a legal term. And it means that we are freed from God's required just punishment for our sins. God takes that penalty and transfers it to Christ and finds that that penalty has indeed been paid for by the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross of Calvary. And so God takes us and transfers us from those people who have to pay that penalty personally into people for whom the penalty has already been paid uh, by Jesus Christ. So we are justified. But not only that, our sins are forgiven. You know, you think about sin in your own life and the burden of guilt and the burden of uncertainty and the burden of... of, uh, knowing that you have created or caused something that's damaging to yourself or to, to others. 
and carrying that through your life with no hope of forgiveness. And yet when we come to Jesus Christ and receive salvation through him, our sins are forgiven. They are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And what a relief, what a joy to know that God has taken our sins and forgiven us for those sins and cleansed the slate so that we can indeed stand clean before him. But not only justification and forgiveness, but God takes the initiative to close the gap that has existed between God and mankind because of mankind's sin. A holy God cannot allow sin to stand in his presence. And so mankind has been separated from God, from that relationship apart from God to live his or her life in his own strength without that relationship with God. But at the moment of salvation, when a person comes to Christ, the God closes the gap and draws us into relationship with him. Those of us who have been separated and apart from God, not knowing his love, not knowing his forgiveness, God takes the initiative to draw us into reconciliation, into a relationship with him. Can you say Praise God. And then finally, in in this list of four, and this is not all, God gives us eternal life. We are transferred out of the realm of Satan, which is eternal death, into the realm of Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. And we're going to have all of eternity to enjoy and to rejoice in what God has has done for us Uh, through his plan of salvation. Now, there may be some confusion when you hear people say, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. That sounds like salvation really hasn't been completed, but it really has. And what they're talking about is salvation, we've been saved, sanctification, which has a dimension of ongoing development of the believer, we're being saved, and then we shall be saved in the ultimate sense when God takes us home to be in glory with him. Salvation encompasses all of that, and God has that as part of his intention uh, for each one of us. Now, I want to say to you that I I want to underscore that when we read that passage of Scripture in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. And I want to underscore that. There is absolutely nothing that the human being can do to commend himself or herself to God. Now, why is that? It is because we are at base sinners. We have inherited the, uh, the original sin through our lineage from Adam. We are born sinners. And because every effort that we would make to try to reach God and close the gap in our own strength arises out of our sin, God cannot accept it. 
The only way that the gap can be closed is for God to initiate uh, the action and to close the gap through the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you're thinking that you, by being a good enough person, can merit yourself into salvation and into the presence of God, please give it up. It will not ever, ever work. I've been a chaplain in the military for a full career and just retired from St. Joseph Hospital, where for 18 years I was a chaplain there. I cannot tell you the number of people who, as I go and talk with them and ask them about their eternal destiny, say something like, well, I hope when it's time for me to go, I will have done enough good for God to take me into his heaven. How desperately tragic that is. God wants to say to all of us today about our salvation, quit working. If you're trying to get to me through working, stop. I've done it all. I've forgiven all. I've reconciled all. And all you need to do is to receive it as a free gift. Not work for it, but to receive it. When you do that, God initiates all of the salvation process that we're looking at here this morning. Just want to underscore that and make that very clear. So secondly, under salvation, we find sanctification. And sanctification has two parts. One is our standing in Jesus Christ and everything that's related to that, God does it at the moment of salvation. Sanctification is not progressive. All of the things that are true about our standing in Jesus Christ become true instantaneously at the moment of salvation. Do you recognize that in the New Testament there are at least 50 things that God says he does for you at the moment of salvation? If you're not familiar with all of those things, you need to be because it's just overwhelming of God's grace and the completeness uh, that God has brought together to be sure that our salvation is firm and complete and secure. He's done it all. He's thought of all the possibilities and he's put things in place to make it all true. There are at least 50 things that God does at the moment of salvation that we call sanctification, that is, recognizing our position in Christ. So true that if you were to receive Jesus Christ right here this morning, right where you sit, and that's entirely possible for you to do that, simply by going to the Lord in a prayerful conversation saying, Lord, I hear this message of the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, and I recognize I need that gift of salvation. I need Christ. Lord, please come into my heart. I receive you by faith. God says, it's a done deal at that point. And if you were to receive Christ right now, and I pray that you will if you do not know him, and you were to get up and walk out of here and by some means die while you're on your way to your car, you would go straight to heaven because in that moment that you received Jesus Christ, God did everything for you that needs to be done 
to complete your salvation and make it secure and make it real and make it operative so that you are a child of his. Can you again say, praise the Lord? That is so true that I hope you will believe it. Let me just give you two examples of what I'm talking about. This, this comment says that there are, are these 50 things. If you're not familiar with positional truth, I invite you to go home this afternoon, sit down at your computer or wherever, and just go to Google or Bing or one of those search engines and type in positional truth. And you'll get articles uh, galore that list and make clear the things that God has done for us at the moment of salvation. Now, there's a second dimension to sanctification that I need to rush on and identify. And that is because God has completed our salvation does not mean that we are complete as believers in Jesus Christ in this sense. I'm talking about maturity Wherever you are at the moment in your life that you receive Jesus Christ, God starts right there with you and he begins to build you up so that you progressively mature in Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing that's progressive about sanctification. All of the rest of it is done at the moment of salvation. Now we enter into our walk with Jesus Christ from the day we receive him until the day of our glorification when God takes us home to be with him. And the New Testament is full of things that challenge us to deepen our walk, to serve God, to grow more and more into the image of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So salvation, positional sanctification is done. What's not done is our walk with the Lord and what God has for us in that walk day after day. You'll notice in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. God's already laid out a pathway for you from the moment of your salvation until the time of your glorification, a pathway uh, filled with the good works that God wants to lead you into and empower you to do. But then secondly, Notice in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Two things going on in your life at the same time as a believer. One is God working through you to accomplish his will in the good works that he leads you into. That's one level. The other level is God related our, to us in Philippians 1, 6 is the things that God is doing in you. Two things, God working through you to accomplish his will. At the same time he's doing that, he's working in you to build you up and to transform you through the power of the Holy Spirit into a child of his who is maturing more and more with each day and each step 
of our life experience. That's God's plan. That's practical sanctification. That we would walk with God and grow in him at the same time. I'm just inviting you and myself to reflect on that today. That that's what it means to be a letter of Jesus Christ to the world around us. That we are saved. We are truly in relationship with God. We have been sanctified in that relationship. And God is using us to be a letter from him to the world around us. To proclaim the good news and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that we would walk from this place today saying, Lord, help me to know how to be an inviting letter of Jesus Christ in my life as as I walk with you. Dr. Tom Constable has said this, God's method of commending the gospel to others is through the supernatural change that he writes on the lives of believers by the Holy Spirit. That's the letter that God is writing on your heart and mind today. A.T. Robertson puts it like this. Professing Christians are the Bible that men read and know. And Psalm 40 expresses this incredibly well, I think. It says, and isn't this our experience? He lifted me up out of a miry pit He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Is that descriptive of what it means to be a letter of Christ? God's lifted us up out of the miry pit of our sin. He's set us on the rock of Jesus Christ. And he put a new song in our mouth, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit and the invitation to receive Christ through the gospel. And we proclaim that through our lives and many see it and trust the Lord. But you know what? It's not only this letter of Christ for individuals, but for the church. We're not only individually letters of Christ, but together we're a letter of Christ. So that how we live together, how we serve the Lord together, how we grow together is also a letter of powerful witness to the community around us and indeed to the world. And so we need to be mindful, not only how we're performing as letters of Christ, but how we as a church are performing as a letter of Christ. You know, uh, back in uh, A.D. about 130 or so, there was an emperor named Hadrian who became kind of interested in knowing what this Christian cult was all about. And so he commissioned a man named Aristides to go out and contact these congregations and find out what they were all about. Aristides came back to the emperor and said, and he, he was asked, well, what did you find out? And he, and he gave kind of a mixed report of some good things and some bad things. But the thing that has echoed down through history is that he said, one thing I found was, behold, how they love one another. 
You know, when a church is marked by love of one another and there's a unity of fellowship and belief and serving the Lord together, that speaks a volume of a letter of Jesus Christ out to the world that is absolutely powerful and wonderful. And it makes the world want to know and to share what we have. Our love for each other is a drawing card for a world lost without love that needs what we alone can experience in the power of Jesus Christ. And I wonder, as we think about our individual selves being a letter of Christ today, I wonder what we think about ourselves as a church being a letter of Jesus Christ uh, to the world around us. Well, let's read verse 3 then. Being manifest that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. First of all, this is a letter from Christ. He didn't say to his followers, go out and write your own letter. Just present it however you want to present it. But Christ embodies in us the content of the letter from Christ to the world. It is Christ who builds the reality of that letter within us. And it is the power of God manifest in Christ that creates that in us as we walk with the Lord and as we are matured in him. Secondly, it is a, is a letter facilitated by the ministry of Paul. Now, what did he mean by this? Well, what he meant was expressed in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 12, which says, God gave gifted people to the church for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. And so God brings people, gifted people, into our church to train us, to admonish us, to build us up so that we can grow in our faith, so that we can deepen our walk, so that we can improve our service uh, to the Lord. So Paul is saying, I am part of this letter through the ministry that God has laid on my heart to perform with you. Third, the Holy Spirit is the one who is actually implanting this letter on our hearts. And fourth, the letter is written in the very core of our being. So I want to ask you, what's your reaction to being told that you are a letter from Christ to the world? What's your reaction to that? Well, it might be, this is overload. This is way more than I think I signed up for and not sure uh, that I'm ready to perform that. And besides, my life is not a Bible that I want other people to read. I know where my warts are. I know where my failures are. I know where those things are that I repeatedly fall back into in my life. I hope people are not watching me because if they are, I'm not sure they're getting the true picture. Or your reaction might be, 
I'm just not ready for this. But before you take one of those routes to try to hide from the reality that you are a letter of Christ, I want to tell you that help is on the way. And here it is. Later in the same chapter, we read, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God is at work, remember, through you and in you. Every day, God wants to draw you in deeper into relationship with him. And where you are today may be a testimony in the sense that There are things going on in your life which are honoring to God and some things that are not honoring to God, but that there's a desire in your heart to draw closer to God so that the things that are not honoring in your life can be transformed by the Holy Spirit and you are working in that sense to avail yourself of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit and people can see that, see that struggle that's going on in your life and they can be encouraged even by that struggle. So where you are is where God has you at the moment and he wants to work through you to manifest that you are a letter from Christ. And every day, he's going to attempt to draw you closer and deeper and more in love in your relationship with him. I hope you'll count on that. Would you listen to this comment by Pastor Alan Perkins that gives that underscores what I just said? On the contrary, we believe God wants to change us that he has the power to change us, and that he is changing us. Yes, it is true that God accepts us completely just as we are, but it's also true that he isn't willing to leave us just as we are. He wants to change us through and through, top to bottom. He wants to shape and strengthen our character. He wants to clean the muck out of our souls. He wants to rework our values and our priorities. He wants to give us wisdom and insight and understanding. What he wants to do is to make us more like Jesus Christ. And he's at work diligently to do that. Finally, this is a slide you've been waiting for. This is the conclusion. Folks, the world wants the proof that we have the proof that the gospel works, the proof that God is real, the proof that God is faithful and that he'll do what he says he'll do. We have that proof and we announce it primarily through the letters from Jesus Christ that walk out of this congregation and mingle in the world all around us and radiate out of our lives the truth and reality of who God is and what he can do in your life and in mine to transform us and make us into the image of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The world wants that, and we have it to share. Wouldn't it be tragic if we do not take seriously that opportunity that God makes possible and empowers us uh, to do and to provide Uh, for the world around us. 
And the good news is that God wants to do this. He wants to work in us and to empower us. And he is just getting started. We ain't seen nothing yet. Would you stand with me, please? May we read together out loud in unison this poem. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day. By the deeds you do, by the words you say. People read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Letters of Jesus Christ depart from this place to honor God and share with the world the proof that salvation is real and that they can receive it. Amen, and God bless you.